Okay, yeah, you may be seated. Uh, let's go ahead and take our Bibles and we'll go to uh, the book of Ephesians this evening. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we'll start. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to start. <clears throat> okay, uh, as well, just uh, continue to pray for Pastor as he is over there in America. I got a text from him, uh, I think it was earlier today, and um, it was about the weather. He said he was freezing cold, but that it's really not that bad for Northern America in February, all things being equal. But... Um, He'll be okay. Hopefully he doesn't come back with any frostbite. But uh, he will be preaching, so do be praying for him. And uh, uh, I'm sure that he'll be a blessing there. Um, we're in Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, we're going to be begin reading here, uh, really in verse number 1. Um, I'm going to bring a message to you in, uh, tonight entitled, Everything's Under Control. Everything's Under Control. Don't you like when everything's under control? Um, you know, we have four children, and uh, I'll be the first uh, to admit that um, I can't honestly say that everything's under control all the time, okay? In fact, sometimes uh, I'll say uh, to Zoe, I'm afraid of my children. Uh, and if you've had, you know, particularly a few kids, maybe even relatively close in age, I think you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> you can be afraid of your kids, you know? Uh, when you have your alarm set, and um, before the alarm ever goes off, you have somebody bouncing on your head saying, jump, jump, jump. Uh, <laughs> that can be kind of disconcerting, you know. You do get used to it after a while, though. Um, but, you know, what really, as humans, we like it when everything's under control, really when everything's in its place and things are operating the way we anticipated them to operate. Um, when everything's under control, we like that. Well, what we're going to see from the book of Ephesians, we're going to look at a number of passages here, and primarily we're going to stay here in the book of Ephesians. But what we're going to find is a principle that really is throughout the whole book. It's mentioned other places in Scripture as well. But the reality is everything is under control. Now, that's not always a good thing. You're going to see what I mean by that in a minute. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, we'll begin uh, reading in verse number 1. It says this, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to saved people or lost people here? Yeah, he's talking to saved people. And he's saying, listen, here is what your life story was. You were dead in trespasses and sins. God quickened you. He breathed life into you when you were saved. And then in verse number 2 and verse number 3, he's going to take, uh, a snapshot of what life was like before they were saved, okay? And if you're sitting here this evening and you're, you're a believer, you can probably look back and recognize, yeah, this, this is what life was like before I got saved. And it's almost like the Apostle Paul, by divine inspiration, pulls back the curtain to let you see exactly what was going on before you were saved. Things that you really didn't even recognize were going on at the time, but were going on in a very real way, just as sure as you're sitting here. And he explains this in verse number two. Let's read it together. Wherein, in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We're just going to look at these two verses very briefly before we move on. First we'll look at verse number three, then we'll look at verse number two. Notice though the snapshot that he gives us of what life was like before we got saved. Just notice three things that he mentions here. In these three verses, first of all, we've really already pointed out uh, that your spirit was dead. It says here in verse number one, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That tells me that there was a time before I got saved that my spirit was dead. Now, before I got saved, my body wasn't dead. I remember it. Okay, I remember walking around. I remember going to school. I'm, you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't dead. Now, the Apostle Paul's telling me I was dead. What is he talking about? Well, my body, my, my personality was not dead, but that part of me that God created to communicate with him, my spirit, that's what was dead. Before I was saved, before you were saved, our spirits were dead. 
Not because God wanted them to be that way, but because of trespasses and sins. See, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that whereas by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so then death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. See, wherever you find death, you'll find sin. And wherever you find sin, you will find death. You know, maybe you've asked the question yourself. Maybe someone has asked you before, uh, especially if you go out um, calling maybe on a, on a Tuesday evening. You don't have to knock on too many doors before somebody asks you the question, um, how can there be a God if there's so much suffering in the world? You ever heard that? You ever maybe thought that yourself? Look at all the injustice and all the horrible things that go on in the world. Well, you know what? What I tell them is this. It is not God's fault. God has nothing to do with all the death and destruction and injustice you see in this world. God has nothing to do with it. We do. Because the Bible says in that verse we just quoted from Romans chapter 5, that every time you find sin you'll find death. See, it's like death piggybacks on sin. See, there was a time in this world when God first created it where there was no death. You know, funny thing, at the same time, there was no sin. Enter sin, enter death. And we've been dealing with this for thousands of years now. Okay? Um, why, why is there so much death and destruction? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because we live in, an, in a world, our earth, our uh, our world has been tainted, has been damaged, has been scarred by sin. And part of that is death. That's just what comes along with it. Okay? And it's not just the physical death that we see around us, but it's spiritual death. In fact, that is even more, uh, that's even more serious. Because if somebody is spiritually dead, they're not saved, and they remain spiritually dead for the rest of their life, where are they going to go when they die? Well, the Bible makes it very clear. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And that's a very sobering reality. But um, the first thing that we see here about the snapshot, snapshot of your life before you got saved was that your spirit was dead in trespasses and sins. There was no way for a dead, your, your spirit to communicate with God. You know, um, I've been to a number of funerals. And one thing that I have never done at a funeral is sat down and had a little chat with the person in the casket. It'd be kind of boring, you think? Why? Why can you not have a relationship? Why, why, why can there not be any communication there? Well, because that, that body is dead. But you know what? If that person was saved, they're more alive than they've ever been. They're in heaven. They're with the Lord. There's no more death, no more suffering, no more pain. They're more alive than they've ever been. But that body stops communicating, okay? So when the spirit is dead, there's no communication with God. And that's a very grave thing. That's the first uh, point that the Apostle Paul talks about in this snapshot of life before he got saved. The second thing is this. You did that which was right in your own eyes. Look at verse number 3. Like I said, we're going to look at verse number 3 before we look at verse number 2. Look what it says here. Among whom also, so we were, when we were in the world, we all had our conversation. That's just an old English word for the modern English word lifestyle. Okay? We had our lifestyle in times past in the lusts of our flesh. What's the lusts of our flesh? That word lust is really just a benign word. It doesn't necessarily mean something bad, although in our normal uh, the normal connotation of that word lust would be something bad. But that word simply has the idea of desire. Okay? So in time past, we walked according to the lusts or the desires of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Look, your typical lost person, or just take you before you got saved, Think about the things that you did and just your lifestyle when you got up in the morning. What was it that drove you? Was it a deep desire to do the will of God? Was that what drove you? No. What drove you was just the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And not all those things were necessarily bad in themselves. Like, for instance, uh, a guy... Uh, tomorrow morning that's going to get up at uh, 6 o'clock, he's going to get showered and dressed, and he's going to get, uh, get in his suit, and he's going to go to work. 
Now, why does he do that? Is it because he just loves sitting there at the desk pushing a pencil? No, listen, I've worked an office job. Uh, that's, uh, that's not really what drove me, okay? Well, what is it? What drives that guy to get up and do that is the desire to maybe work his way up the corporate ladder, to make a name for himself and his company, to make money, whatever that might be. Do you see what he's doing? It's not necessarily evil in itself, but what he's doing is he's just walking according to the course of the world. He's fulfilling the desires of his flesh, which aren't all necessarily bad, and he's fulfilling the desires of his mind. When he gets up in the morning, he is driven by one thing, what's good for him and what he wants. Now, uh, some of those things might look noble. He might try to spend some time with his wife and kids, uh, which isn't a bad thing, but really at the end of the day, why is he doing that kind of thing? Well, because he knows it won't go very well for him if he doesn't do that kind of thing. Do you know the Bible even tells us that the plowing, we're talking about the work, the plowing of the wicked is sin. Did you know that a lost person, you before you were saved, could do nothing but sin? Everything that you did was tainted by selfish desires. At the end of the day, Everything was tainted by selfish desires, self-promotion, what was going to make life work good for you. And do you know that kind of living, that kind of self-centered living does not please God at all. That's why God can say in Scripture that even the plowing, when, when, when an unsaved man gets up and puts his hand to the plow and plows his field, so to speak, just gets about his regular work, God looks at it and he says, it's sin. Because it's selfish. He's not doing that for God's glory, which is the whole reason we were created. You did that which was right in your own eyes. Really, could you expect anything less of a lost person? No. Not really. You can't. You can't expect anything uh, more from a lost person. They're going to do that which was right in their own eyes. You know, before you got saved, that's what you did. That's what I did. Just did what seemed right. Never really consulted God about things. Didn't really get in Scripture. Most, you know, when you take a lost person, does a lost person dive into Scripture and figure out, okay, now what is God's will for me? What exactly should I do in this situation? No, listen, he's got no interest. He doesn't even have the ability to communicate with God because his spirit's dead. You did that which was right in your own eyes before you were saved. Number three, look at verse number two. This is where the Apostle Paul explains for us what's going on behind the scenes. And before we uh, read verse number 2, let me explain something here. Verse number 2 and verse number 3 are grammatically parallel. And what I mean by that is this. Uh, when the Apostle Paul, under divine inspiration, writes verse number 2 and then he writes verse number 3, the way that the wording is, it's like they're going on at the same time. Okay, what you see is verse number three. You see a guy going around, or maybe, you know, before you before you got saved, uh, he's just going around living life, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and it's not all necessarily bad. He's just doing what seems right in his own eyes. That's just what he's doing. That's what you see. Now let's see what God sees behind the scenes. This is where he pulls the curtain back here in verse number two. He says this, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, who's that? Well, it tells you next. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That word children of disobedience, that phrase, it just has the idea of uh, those who are characterized by disobeying God. Lost people. The world system. So here's what God is saying. God is saying this, look, when, this, when, when a lost person is lost, and the Apostle Paul is saying, look, but you before you got saved, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You just went around doing what seemed right to you, what seemed right in your own eyes at the time. But while all that was going on, while you were really under your own control, or so you thought, what's actually going on behind the scenes is verse number 2. You're walking according to the course of this world, according to or hand in hand with the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So you know what that's saying? In doing what was right in your own eyes, you were actually doing what the devil wanted you to do. 
You see that? So look, when you've got a lost person, and he's just doing what seems right in his own eyes, he's just going along, he's being influenced by his culture, which is being influenced by Satan himself, okay? Uh, That's why it calls Satan the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Another passage calls him the God of this world. Satan is the one who's behind the scenes. And if you take a lost guy, you know what? This is the way it was before I got saved. This is the way it was before you got saved. While you were just going, doing what was right in your own eyes, you were actually working hand in hand with Satan's agenda. Well, you know, that's just the way it works. Okay? Now, for sake of time, we're not going to turn there. But uh, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tells us what God's agenda is and what Satan's agenda is really in the same passage. Really, what, what, what is going on in the world, behind the scenes, in, in the spiritual realm, we have two agendas going on, okay? Um, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, I should probably turn there, Okay? <laughs> You can too if you like, but you don't need to. Second Corinthians chapter 4, here's what he says. Um, verse number 4, Second Corinthians 4, 4, it says this, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Okay, so what is Satan's agenda? His agenda is to keep people blind. Not physically blind, spiritually blind. When you're physically blind, you can't see what's in front of you, right? When you're spiritually blind, you don't see your need for God. You just can't see spiritual things. You can't really even see spiritual truth. Your eyes are blind. And Satan's agenda, the God of this world, his agenda is to keep lost people blind. He doesn't want them to see, right? That's what it says. Why does he want to keep them blind? Moving on, it says this, lest... The light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Okay? And then, we're not going to go on, but, but here's the idea. Okay? You have Jesus Christ, and his desire is to shine light into everyone's heart. You remember when you got saved, or maybe when the gospel was, was first presented to you, and there was a point in time where it's like the lights went on. All of a sudden, you saw your need for Christ and what he had done for you. See, the day before that, Everything was okay. I mean, your life might have been in bits, but you didn't even see your need for God. You're just moving on, doing doing what the Apostle Paul says you were doing here, uh, walking according to the course of this world, just doing what seemed right in your own eyes, and then all of a sudden, maybe you read a gospel tract, or maybe someone just opened up Scripture and shared with you your need for what Christ had done on the cross, your need to be saved, uh, your problem with sin, and it's like all of a sudden, you see something. It's like the first time you see something spiritually and you think, oh man, I need what Christ has done for me. And so you call upon the name of the Lord, he saves you, and you're not blind anymore. See, Satan's desire, his whole agenda is to keep people blind. Because listen, if people stay blind, are they going to see their need for Christ? No. Are they going to be saved? No. See, that is Satan's agenda. And before you got saved, you know what? You were just part of the program. You weren't doing anything to help people get a relationship with God, were you, before you got saved? You weren't doing anything at all. You weren't interested. And it's not like you were being uh, knowingly, malignantly rebellious against God. It's just what you were doing before you were saved. That's what lost people do. Your spirit was dead. You didn't even see what you were doing. But then when you get saved, something different happens. No longer do you have to be part of Satan's agenda. Now you have the opportunity to be part of God's agenda. Look what happens here when you get saved here uh, over in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 5. It says this. We'll start in verse 4. It says this, But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. You know what that word quickened means? It means to, to resurrect or to make alive. It's the same kind of thing that happened. Remember when, when God took Adam 
uh, well, when God took the dust of the ground, and it says, the Bible says he formed it into a man, and then it uses this phrase, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. See, before Adam was actually living, God just made this man's body, just made it out of the dust of the ground, okay? Which is interesting because, like, medically, if you look up what the the different elements in your body are, you can find the same stuff in the dirt. Nickel, cadmium, it's all there. It's all the same stuff. God took, literally, the dirt from the ground. He made man, and then he did something. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Can you imagine what Adam's first five minutes would have been like? Can you imagine? Uh... It's absolutely unbelievable to think what his first few minutes would have been like when he realizes all of, all of a sudden he's, he's alive. He's experiencing life. And of course, he's never experienced life before. And I, I, it's in my mind's eye when I see Adam's first five minutes, I see him just looking straight up because he knew right where he came from. There was no question in his mind where he'd come from. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's the same kind of idea. When you were uh, lost, before you got saved, you were dead. Your spirit was dead. No life whatsoever. No communication with God. And you know what? Maybe it it depends, you know, on memory and maybe how old you were when you got saved. but, But maybe you can remember that moment when it's like God breathed into your spiritual nostrils the breath of life. And it's like you could see. You were experiencing spiritual life. You remember the excitement that was there. Well, you just wanted to tell somebody else about it. That's what happens very often when you get saved. Now, notice a snapshot of what happened when you got saved. First of all, God brought your spirit to life. Before, the minute before you got saved, you had no relationship with God. The minute after you got saved, you had a relationship with God. Uh, and then notice here what it says in verse number uh, 6. It says this, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. In whom? In Christ Jesus. Notice here in verse number 5 and 6, there's a word that's mentioned three times. Uh, It says that he hath quickened us together with Christ and has raised us up together and made us sit together. So all the stuff that's going on, it's not going on with you by yourself. When you got saved, God took you and he didn't just breathe life into you. He identified you with, together with, Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, his history becomes your history. His credentials, if you will, become your credentials. That's why the Apostle Paul says in another passage that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big change, isn't it? One minute, you're, you're, you're an enemy of God. You're, you're dead to God. Your spirit is completely dead in trespasses and sins. You have no relationship with God. And the next thing you know, um, life is being breathed into you when you trusted Christ. Uh, you are now identified together with Christ. And then notice uh, as well a verse that you could probably quote, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Note this as well. This was all done based on the merits of Jesus, not you. And by the way, if you're sitting here tonight and you feel like that maybe you could get to heaven by your own efforts, look at what, look at what God says here. It says that it's not by your own efforts. By grace you are saved through faith. By trusting. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And it's not of works lest any man should boast. Nobody is going to get to heaven because they were good enough. The only people in heaven are those who realize that they weren't good enough, but Jesus Christ is good enough, and they trusted him to save them from the penalty of their sin. Those are the only people that are going to end up in heaven. And notice as well uh, what happened when you got saved, that you were given a purpose and a living Uh, So you were given a purpose for living and a work to do for God. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, For we are his workmanship. You know what that word is? Masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now you need to understand something. Before you got saved, you didn't know it at the time, 
But whose control were you under? You were under Satan's control. That's what it says. When you were walking according to the course of this world, you were walking according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, you know what? As a saved person looking back, that's scary stuff. If you would have told me that before I got saved, I either would have thought you were crazy or I would have been scared. Okay? But that's what it says. So, you know what? When, something, when, when we say everything's under control, that's not necessarily a good thing, is it? To be under Satan's control, that's a bad thing. But you know what? You don't have to be under Satan's control anymore. Now, unfortunately, many believers in one or more areas of their life are. But they don't have to be. Uh, we're just going to fly through and look at a couple verses here. Look at chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse number 1. This is really a theme throughout the whole book. Chapter 4, verse number 1. He says this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, or I implore you, I beg you, that you walk worthy of the vocation or the job wherewith you were called. Okay? Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we just saw this. God says that we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for a new creature, made by him. For what? Unto good works which God has before ordained that we would walk in them. That tells me this, that before I was even saved, God had a purpose and a plan for my life. He had work for him that he wanted me to do. Before you got saved in the mind of God, he had a plan and a purpose for your life. I am totally convinced after looking through scripture that you could take any lost person and in the mind of God, God has a plan for them. He wants to save them. He wants to fill them and he wants to have them realize his plan for their life. There's not a person on this planet that God does not have a plan for, a purpose for, and that plan starts when you get saved. Now, if you're saved, the plan has started. And in chapter 4, verse number 1, the Apostle Paul is imploring you, saying this, I beseech you that you walk worthy of your vocation, that calling, that plan that God has for you. God wants you to walk worthy of it. He wants you to walk worthy of your job. Let me ask you this. Let's imagine that uh, I was looking for work and I got some job. And uh, my job was to start Monday morning. Well, Monday morning, I don't show up to work. Monday morning, I'm uh, at home. I'm uh, cutting the grass in my garden. This didn't actually happen, by the way. I'm just giving a hypothetical situation, okay? Let me ask you this. If I'm supposed to be at my job, but I'm off doing my own thing, question, am I walking worthy of my vocation or my job? Yes or no? No, I'm not. See, if I'm doing my own thing instead of what the boss wants me to do, I am not walking worthy of my vocation. Right? Okay, stick that in your hip pocket and look at uh, chapter uh, 5, verse number 1. He says this. It's another command. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Okay, he's telling me this, be a follower of God. Now, could we not say that the vocation or the job that God has called you to do is to follow him? Do you remember what Jesus, the first thing he said to his disciples, what did he say to them? Follow me, right? Okay, so you're a disciple of Christ if you're saved, whether you like it or not. That's what you are, okay? And if he comes to you and he says, listen, follow me. You know, you, you trusted him, you got saved, you started to follow him. Let's imagine that one of the 12 disciples decides that they're not going to follow Christ anymore instead of doing what Jesus says and goes with them over the Sea of Galilee or whatever. They decide they're just going to go on holidays for two weeks. Uh, I don't know if Lanzarote was very attractive back then, but I don't know, somewhere else. They were going to go off on two weeks of holiday even though Jesus didn't want them to. Were they walking worthy of their vocation? No, they weren't. No, not at all. Understand this. Walking worthy of your vocation is the same as following the boss. Following Christ. Now, look at chapter 5, verse number 18. Here's what it says. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 
Now, this really is the answer to the commands given to us in chapter 4, verse 1, and chapter 5, verse 1. He tells us to walk worthy of our vocation. How can you walk worthy of your vocation? In chapter 2, let me ask you this. When you got saved, with whom did God identify you? With Christ. That means my job in following Him is to be like Christ. That is my job. That is my vocation. To do what Christ would do. Can I really do that? (laughs) No. You know what? I have proven that I cannot do that in my own strength. Just ask my wife. Okay, now be nice. Don't ask for details. But I can't do that. I can't walk worthy of the vocation worth I was called. I can't do that. Look, I couldn't do it before I got saved. And you know what? Just because I'm saved now doesn't mean that all of a sudden I'm a perfect guy. I can't do that. I can't walk worthy of the vocation wherewith I was called. In my own strength, when I'm under my own control, I cannot do that. And then in chapter 5, verse number 1, when Jesus, uh, when, when God here in this passage is telling me to be a follower of God as a dear child. Look, just ask yourself, do you always follow God? I'll be honest with you, I don't always tend to follow God. Okay? You cannot do that in your own strength. Well, you know what the answer is? The answer is to be under control. Not to be under your own control. Because when you're under your own control, whose control are you really under? Exactly, okay? So whose control are you going to be under? Chapter 5, verse 18, here's the answer. It says this, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. You know, I've talked about this here uh, behind this pulpit before, but when somebody drinks liquor of any kind, booze, whatever, whatever, okay? When somebody drinks that, are they under their own control anymore? They're not. They're not. Yeah, in fact, they do things when they're under the influence of alcohol that they would never do when they were sober. In fact, very often, I, I have seen this happen myself in counseling people, people are embarrassed about the things that they do when they are the, under the influence of alcohol or, or, or any kind of substance. They are embarrassed about those kind of things because they would never do them when they were sober. Okay, you take a guy that is extremely shy when he's sober, when he is drunk, he's not shy anymore, right? So he's saying this, don't be drunk with wine, don't be under the influence of alcohol, but be filled with or be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Just like, just like someone, I would never draw this illustration myself, but the Spirit of God inspired the Apostle Paul to use this as an illustration. Just like a drunk guy is not under control anymore when he is under the influence of the bottle. In that same way that he, che- he look, he puts the bottle to his lips suddenly. He allows himself to be under the control of that substance. In the same way, you need to allow yourself to be under the control of God. To where you're not calling the shots, he is. Okay? Does God want you to be under your own control? No. Does God want you to be under his control? Yes. And because you are saved, because you are identified with Christ, you have the opportunity every moment of your life to be under the influence of the Spirit of God. To be under his control. You know, all too often, our position, who we are, let's talk about that for a second. Who are we in Christ? Are you this, when God looks at you, does he see a dirty, rotten sinner if you're saved? No, you know what he sees? He sees one of his kids. He sees the perfection of his own son. Not because of anything you have done, but because of your trust, your faith in what he has done on your behalf. And that is your position. It even says in black and white there in Ephesians chapter 2 that your position is not just here on this earth, though here you are, but your position is at the right hand of the Father in Christ seated in heavenly places. That is not just a position of perfection. That is a position of authority. 
And that is where you are in Christ. Not because of who you are, but because of your identification with who he is. God the Father himself identified you with his son. When God looks at you, he sees his son. (laughs) That's great news. That is your position. Let me ask you this. Does your position, who you are, and your practice, how you act, always line up? You know, it doesn't. It doesn't. You know, and that manifests itself in many different areas of life. And the Apostle Paul deals with that. When you do that which was right in your own eyes, you are under Satan's control. But get this, when you do that which is right in God's eyes, you are under God's control. Now understand this, the command to be filled or to be controlled by His Spirit, it's a passive command. He's not asking you to just try to be all you can be for Jesus Christ. That's not what He's asking you to do. He's saying this, listen, allow yourself to be controlled by Him. Allow God to call the shots in your life. Allow Him to do that. Take any area of your life. Your interests. You know, we all have interests. Who's calling the shots in your interests? Is God calling the shots in what you're interested in or or are you calling the shots in that? Uh, The things that you're investing in, whether it be with your time or with your money, who is calling the shots there? Are you in control or is he in control? Listen, if you're in control, who's actually behind your actions? Look, just because you got saved doesn't mean that when you do your own thing, Satan doesn't have control of you. Get this. We won't take time to to look at the passage. But in Matthew chapter uh, 16, when the apostle Peter was being controlled by his own desires, Jesus says to him, get thee behind me. So do you see, Jesus actually saw what was going on with Peter. Here is a believer, a saved guy. Look, he even became an apostle for what it's worth, okay? But there he is, and he for a moment of time is controlled by his own desires. Not necessarily evil, wicked desires, but he wants his own way. He wants his own agenda. He wants to preserve what he wants. And Jesus looks at him and he says, get thee behind me, Satan. That tells me that even a saved person can be under the influence of the enemy. Anytime that you do that which is right in your own eyes, when you do your thing instead of God's thing, somebody else is behind that decision. It's the enemy. And that's why the Apostle Paul beseeches us, implores us to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. You are simply being commanded to act like what you really are now. Uh, There in chapter 5, look at verse number 8. For ye were sometimes, or, or before times, for ye were before time darkness. Weren't you before you got saved? I was. But now... Are ye light in the Lord? Are you in darkness anymore? You're not in darkness anymore. Look, if you're saved, you're not in darkness. That's not who you are anymore. The person that you were before you got saved is gone. Crucified with Christ. Vamoose. Gone. History. And you're a new creation. Boy, you know what? Isn't that something we're shouting about? Let's think about what you were before you got saved. That's that, that you might have done a lot of things you're ashamed of. You know what? That person is gone. That is not who you are anymore. Now, it is true that there are times when we do things before we get saved and we still have to face the music after we get saved. You know, if you take out a loan at the bank before you get saved, and you can't pay it back, and then you get saved... Uh, and you tell the bank manager, listen, yeah, I know, I took that loan out before I got saved. That, that, that old man is dead. Is, is the bank manager going to take that? 
No, he's not going to take that. Look, the reality is when you make wrong choices before you get saved, listen, sometimes after you get saved, you still got to face the music. And God will give grace for all that. But you know what? The reality is this. That person is gone. You are not that person anymore. Get that in your soul. You were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So what's he tell you to do? Verse number eight, walk as children of light. Don't do your own thing anymore. Don't do what seems right in your own eyes anymore. You did that before you got saved. That is not who you are. Stop acting like that old dead person. Start acting like the new man. Start acting like who you really are. That is who you are in Christ. Uh, Here in chapter 4, verse number 22, and what we're going to do now just for the remaining few minutes we have together is we're going to take some practical application that the Spirit of God himself led the Apostle Paul to write right in the middle of this truth that this is who you were before you were got saved. You were doing your own thing, not knowing it, but you were under Satan's control, fulfilling his agenda, helping that wicked agenda of keeping people blinded of the truth. But you're not that way anymore. That's not who you are anymore. You were sometimes darkness, aiding the agenda of darkness. But now that you're saved, you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And now he's going to give you some practical application. And even as I was reading this, this is kind of where it starts to burn a little bit. Okay? Look at what he says in verse number 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation or lifestyle, the old man. That's that person you were before you got saved. Doing your own thing. Which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And you know, I don't think any of us would argue with that. Verse number 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Do you see what he's telling you to do? He's saying, listen, you need to put off that old lifestyle that is part of that old man that is dead. And you need to make a choice to put on the new man. By the way, the new man is Christ. That new creation, the Spirit of God that was, that was put inside of you when you got saved. That union that was made between God's Spirit and your Spirit. The Bible says, He that is joined to the Lord is one Spirit. That union uh, that was made between you and Christ when you got saved. He says, listen, that is the new man. Put off the old stuff. Put on the new man. He's not saying... Uh, just try your best to not be bad and try your best to be good. He says, no, based on your position in Christ, stop acting like that old man that you were and start acting like who you really are right now. And the way that you do that, chapter 5, verse 18, is to allow him to control you. Get this, if you're saved, you have someone living inside of you. His name is the Holy Spirit. And every moment of every day, he is standing there waiting to guide you, to control you. Uh, He is called in John chapter 15, the, the, the paraclete, the comforter is the way it's translated for us. It's someone who comforts. It's someone who comes alongside you. That means the Holy Spirit of God is in your heart and he is alongside you every moment of every day giving you comfort, wanting to control you, wanting to direct you. And here's what the Apostle Paul is commanding us to do. Let him do it. It's like here you are, you're, you're, you're driving down the road and you're, 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 you're in the driver's seat in your life, Okay? And now that you're saved, you have somebody in the passenger seat. He's in your life. He's in your heart. He's there in the proverbial car, if you will. And there you are. You are at the driver's seat. And uh, you have the Holy Spirit there now that you're saved. You know what he's telling you to do? He's saying this. When the Spirit of God says, turn right, you turn right. When he says, turn left, you turn left. In other words, you don't drive and do what you want to do. You do whatever he says. You know what some of us have gotten used to doing in our Christian life? The Holy Spirit's been giving us direction and guidance all along. He's been telling us what to do. When we do what he says not to do, we used to feel a bit of a pain in our heart. Oh, we didn't do what he wanted us to do, and we felt guilty about that. But maybe you've been doing your own thing for so long, you don't even hear him talking anymore. You know what you need to do tonight? You need to get on your face before God and say, God... Spirit of God, I have not been following you to the point where I don't even hear your voice anymore. And get right with God. He speaks in a still, small voice. Uh, Look what he says here in uh, verse number 24, and that you put on the new man, 
chapter 4, verse 24. You put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man the truth to his neighbor. Listen, when you lie, whose control are you under? You're under your own control and you're doing what God wants you to do. I mean, you're doing what Satan wants you to do. Now, folks, that is a horrible thing. Uh, for we are members one of another. Verse number 26, be ye angry and sin not. You know, one problem with when we get upset and when we get angry, we're sinning when we're doing that. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Verse number 27, neither give place to the devil. Do you know there are things in this world that may not necessarily be wrong and evil in themselves. But if you can imagine your life as, as a house, you know, I don't know about you, uh, but um, e- even down in Arklow, I lock my doors and windows whenever I go out. And even when we go, when we go to bed, when the day's over and uh, I go to bed, I, I, just, I make my rounds around the house, lock every window and door. Why? I don't want an intruder coming in. You know what? If you're saved, you've got an intruder that's always trying to get in and get control. The enemy, Satan. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here is this. Look, don't leave any windows open. Don't leave a door open. You know what? You might be sitting here and you have a desire to serve God, but maybe there's a window open in your house. Not in your house house, but in your heart. There's a window open. You find now and again uh, the enemy gets in through that window. Now, I don't know what that window is. That window might be a television set. I don't know. That window might be uh, unfiltered internet access. I don't know. That window could be anything and everything. You have no idea. But you know what? Right now, even as I'm saying that, maybe some, something's come to your mind. Yeah, you know what? That's the area. That's my weak spot. That is my Achilles heel. That is a spot Satan always gets at me. Close the window. Whatever that means for you, close the window. Neither give place to the devil. Verse 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good. Look, if you've got a believer, particularly a man, who is under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, is that guy going to be working or is he going to be loafing around? He's going to be working. That is what God created you to do. God created you for a job uh, to do. Um, that he may have to give to him that needeth. In verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Ouch. You know, I wonder, you just take everything that you said today. It was all under control, but whose control? The way you talk to your spouse, was that, was that under your control? Or was that under God's control? Uh, the way that you talk to your kids today, was that... Was that you doing that which was right in your own eyes? Hey, they, they needed to get chewed out for that. Or was that what was right in God's eyes? Were you under the Holy Spirit's control when you did that? Um, you need to make a deliberate choice to allow God to control your actions. This does not happen by accident. You need to make a deliberate choice to allow God to control your actions. You know what? This would save a whole lot of marriages. If, if this, the, the members of that marriage would talk to each other under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. Because when they talk to each other under their own control, fights break out, right? You know, uh, in chapter 5, verse 19, this is very interesting. Right after that command to be filled with the Spirit, he says this, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Let me ask you this. It's interesting to me. The very first thing that God mentions after he commands us to be controlled by his Spirit is music. Isn't that interesting? Do you know why? Music controls no matter where you go, you take the words away. I'm talking about just the music itself without the lyrics. Music controls. If we were to take the kids from uh, the crash, and uh, let's imagine that uh, I brought my smartphone in and uh, I started to play for them um, 
military marches by John Philip Sousa. You know, okay. Now, what are the kids going to do? Are they going to lay down and take a nap? No. What are they going to do? This is going to bounce off the walls. Okay, now look. Music controls. I just give that as a simple illustration. You know, if you will take quotes from, I know this is a little out of date, but I have quotes from guys like Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones and uh, Led Zeppelin. And I know this is going back a ways, okay? But um, got quotes from these guys. And you know what they are saying, essentially? Their music is designed to get you to do things. One quote that I read was quite scary. The music was actually designed to get, get someone to commit suicide. Talks about nirvana and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it's scary stuff. Do you know, when God tells you to be controlled by his spirit, the very first thing he mentions is music. Let me ask you this. The music that you listen to, is that stuff that God's okay with? Or, hey, listen, I mean, God really doesn't care about these kind of things. I like this music. I, I need this music. Well, you know what? The reality is the very first thing that he mentions by practical way of application, after he says, be controlled, allow yourself to be under God's control, he mentions music, the very first thing. And then after that, in uh, verse number 20, he says, it's giving thanks always for all things. Does that mean you're ever allowed to complain about anything? <laughs> There's all sorts of stuff we could complain about, isn't there? But you know what? If you're under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, you're not going to complain. You know what? You take the Apostle Paul when he's under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. You throw him in a jail in Philippi, beat his back bloody, and put his feet in stocks. Do you know what he does? He sings thanks to God. And people get saved. Did he have something to complain about? He sure did. Look, you know what? We live really cushy lives compared to that. We've got nothing to complain about. But in our culture, we are taught that we are entitled to certain things. And if we don't get what we want, we complain until we get it. That's what we're told to do. Well, you know what? That's all fine and good for people that are being controlled by the course of this world. That's what it tells you to do. But when you're under control of the Holy Spirit of God, you are not going to act that way. You're not going to go in for it. You're not going to gripe. You're not going to complain. Maybe that's an area of your life where you have been under your own control instead of under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And when you're under your own control, whose control are you under? Is this a big deal? These might seem like small things to us in our culture, but they are not small things to God. They are big things to God. And you know what? The reality is we pray for revival. We pray for God to work. We pray for God to come down and and, and to use us to reach other people. This world is so needy. Our families are so needy. But the reality is if we are continually allowing ourselves to be under Satan's control, it ain't going to happen. We need to allow ourselves to be under his control. You take a believer that is under, allowing himself to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, you've got a believer who is in revival because he is exper- experiencing that life of Christ in him. Um, then notice what he says here in verse number 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know what that has the idea of? That word submit is actually a military term. To arrange yourself under... Uh, somebody else and has this idea submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God let me ask you this are you looking after your own needs all the time you looking after big number one are you looking how you can be a blessing to other people you know what we need to do we need to be submitting ourselves to the needs of those around us and if all of us as believers did that we would have a very very happy church we would wouldn't we? If everyone's just going around meeting everyone else's needs, looking after each other, wouldn't we be a happy church? We would. Why do we have unhappy churches? Because we have people that are selfish and they're looking after their own things and not the things of others. That's exactly what's going on. If you're under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, he is going to direct you to meet the needs of other people. And then you know what he does? He goes home. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. He goes on in chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. You know, this thing about being under control of the Spirit of God, it 
it affects everything. It affects the way husbands treat their wives, the way wives treat their husbands. It affects the way children treat their parents and parents treat their children. It affects every aspect of life. It affects the music that you listen to. It affects the thoughts that you think. It affects, in chapter 6, it goes on, it affects the way you work on the job, serving the Lord Christ and not just trying to be a men pleaser. It's, it, it affects every area of your life. Now think through the areas of your life. Is there any area of your life where you are under your own control and not under his control? And folks, understand this. We've said it many times tonight, and I know you've repeated it back to me as well. But when you are under your own control, when you're doing what seems right to you, just going around and in a humanistic sort of way, Doing just what seems right to you and not asking God what seems right to him and doing what he says to do. When you're under your own control, even if you don't feel like you're doing something that's sin, whose control are you really under? You're under Satan's control. And is that sin? Yes, it is. Even things that look good when they are not under the control of the Spirit of God is sin. Uh, Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 14, whatsoever is not of faith or done in dependence upon and in submission to the Spirit of God is sin. It's a big deal. But folks, get this. We need to understand what our position is. What is our position? Our position is light in the Lord. For you are sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You know, everything that you do is under control. Everything that you did today was under control. The question is, whose control was it under? When you go home tonight, everything you do is going to be under control. But whose control are we talking about? You know, Satan has this agenda for the world to keep everyone blinded. God has this agenda for the world to, to shine light into everyone's heart. And you know, when you are deciding to do your own will, do you know whose agenda you're, you're part of? You're part of that d- agenda of darkness. But you know what? In a moment of time, you can say, God, I am not going to call the shots in that area of my life anymore. I'm going to do what you want me to do. And all of a sudden, whose agenda are you aiding? Christ's agenda. You know what? You can do that right now. You know why you can do that right now? The reason you can make that decision to submit to the will of Christ for you right now is because that is your position. You are one of His. Stop acting like what you used to be. You're not that anymore. You are one of His. Praise God. So everything that you do is under control. Whose control will you be under this week? Let's bow for prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, no one looking around. I'd just like to ask two simple questions tonight. You know, earlier on in the message, we had talked about uh, the fact that you are saved, really made right with God, made alive to God, not by what you do, but by dependence and faith in what he has done. And if you're not sure that you're saved, if you're not sure that you have made that decision to trust what Christ has done, if you're sitting here and say, you know what, Brother Stahl, I'm I'm not even sure that I am in Christ. I'm not sure that that is my position. I'm not sure about this whole being saved thing. If that's you, would you just simply slip up your hand and I'll pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out. Say, you know, I'm not sure about this whole being saved thing, being in Christ. I, I don't know that I'm there, but I would like to be. If that's you, would you simply slip up your hand and I'll pray for you. Okay, amen. You can put that hand down. Question number two tonight, how many would say, you know what, as we're looking really through the book of Ephesians tonight, really the central theme of it, whose control have I been under? You know, an area or areas came to mind where I've got to admit I've been under my own control. And the Spirit of God and love has opened my eyes to the fact tonight that I need to get that sorted out. And to make a decision to stop being under my own control and to be under his control. And God has dealt with me about an area or areas where I have been under my own control. If that's you, you simply slip up your hand. That's me. I, I've had an area in my life where I've been under my control. And praise God. You can put those hands down. Amen. Amen. Anybody else at all? Yeah. God, God dealt with me. God put his finger on an area, at least one area of my life where I've been under my own control. And I need to get that sorted out with God. And I need to give that to him and allow him to have control there. If that's you, raise your hand. Okay, amen. Amen. Praise God. You can put those down. 
in just a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. I'll pray, and then um, we will. Uh, the pianist will play a hymn of invitation. And when uh, when they do that, I just want to open up the altar. If that's you, you just want to come forward and just 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 make this uh, platform an altar and just give that over to God. It's so simple. Say, God, I've had control of this area in my life, but I see that I need to give you control in this area, Lord. Best I know how. I'm letting you you call the shots in that. I'm not touching that anymore. You call the shots, and I'll do whatever you want me to do. And uh, you know what? Two things will be happening. Number one, you'll be right with God. That'll be sorted out. And number two, uh, you'll find God enabling you to do things in that area in his will that you never thought were possible before. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, thank you for working in hearts tonight. Lord, I pray, uh, Lord, for myself and for each one of these uh, seated here, uh, tonight, Lord, that we would be under your control, that you would just help us uh, to see areas in our life where we tend to have control over those areas. And Lord, and Lord you've opened uh, the, the fact that when we're under our own control, we're actually under Satan's control. And Lord, we don't want that. Lord, I pray we'd act like who we really are and that we would uh, walk as children of light. Lord, as you work now during the invitation, I pray that, um, that we would do what we need to do before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's go ahead and stand. Let's keep our heads bowed and eyes closed. And the pianist will begin to play. And you just do business with God if he's 